The Bible says that as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, he sent two of them to get a donkey and her colt. This fulfilled the prophecy in Zechariah. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus mounted the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. Many laid their cloaks on the road before him and brought palm branches to wave and celebrate. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. But not all who were there understood him. Some called him only a prophet, believing him wise but denying his divinity. Some raged and cheered for a revolution, hoping he would liberate them from their oppressors. To others, he was nothing more than an interruption. Even as children ran to him and shouted for joy, his enemies wove through the crowd, watching, seething, plotting. The range of reactions was great and wide. Celebration, worship, revolutions, Deception, cynicism, condemnation, boredom, disinterest. But every single person had to confront one thing. Who he was. Behold, your king is coming to you. Well, good morning. Today begins Holy Week, sometimes or often referred to as Passion Week. So we're going to move into this three-week series that includes today, which is Palm Sunday, next week Easter Sunday, and then the following week as well. We're going to wrap these all three together. You know, sometimes called Passion Week, like I said, when we think of the word passion, we think of strong emotion or uh, intense love. And this word passion actually comes from a Latin word, which simply means to endure suffering. And so when we talk about Passion Week, this, this is meant to describe both the strong emotion and the suffering of, of Christ. You know, there was, a, there was a lot of significant events that were taking place throughout Holy Week or Passion Week. And I don't know if you remember where you were last year. Uh, the week of Holy Week. I, I distinctly remember because we were at home, right? Everyone was, was kind of quarantined, staying at home. And uh, I remember preparing for Easter and we, we did something, I did something I've never done before in my Christian life. I, I was uh, kind of digging into every single day of Holy Week. And uh, we did that as a church. I don't know if you remember if you were with us at that point, if you were dialed in, but every single night of Holy Week, we, you know, we did a little video uh, kind of online thing uh, at home. And, and, and I remember, for me at least, and it, it was hard to gauge because you know, I'm not seeing any faces, everyone was at home, but I felt like for me it was, it was so good and helpful for me that week of my life. And I felt like it, it may have been a galvanizing thing in the life of our, our church family last year as we went through Holy Week together, separately at home online, um, and as we walked through Holy Week together. And I just remember being encouraged, and I was, I was dead dog tired, I remember that week, but I remember just being encouraged because my focus was on the Lord Jesus Christ and on what he what he did for us, what he went through for us. And so my goal uh, is, is for us to 
kind of go back and revisit Holy Week this week uh, individually and together. And so what we've, what we've done is we've created a page on our website. Uh, if you go to friendshipwired.com, you'll see a tab on there that says Holy Week resources, and, uh, or you could go directly to the website, go to friendshipwire.com slash holyweek, and you'll see a whole bunch of resources for you and for your family to walk through every single day of, of Holy Week. Uh, and I would encourage you to, to make this, you know, slow down and to make this a week of, of worship for you and your family. Uh, I've included multiple resources. A couple of them, one is an eight-day Bible reading plan uh, provided by Paul Tripp. Uh, one is a family discipleship guide. I think you'll see images of these up on the screen. Uh, there's a family discipleship guide for Holy Week, um, and that's coming from the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. That's just got some resources for you and your family to, to go through. Um, the, the, the family discipleship guide, there's some stuff, some activity pages for kids. You'd have to print those out if you want to utilize those. But every single day of of Holy Week, you'll see a link to a, a daily narrative that takes you back to that particular day in the life of Christ. And it, the goal is to kind of help us imagine and put us into that place of, of where Jesus was and the events that were taking place on that day. Uh, because today is, is, is Palm Sunday. It's the, it's the beginning of the, the last week of the life of Jesus. And and so every single day of this week was significant, the things that were taking place on each day. And so, you know, for every day of the week, if you go to that website, and I'll post this stuff on, on social media as well, there's a link to a daily narrative that puts you back on that day. And then there's a little 10 or 15 minute video that, that, we, that I recorded last year, just giving some reflection and meditation on what was going on. Uh, in the life of Jesus on that day. Uh, it was filmed in 2020, I'll warn you about that. All right, it's a repeat, but uh, I remember it just being beneficial for me, and so if, if you wanna take advantage of those things, uh, I think it'd be awesome and helpful for you as we make our way towards Easter Sunday. So again, today is, is Palm Sunday. It marks the first day of the last week of Jesus's earthly life. Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey, and he was making his way to the cross to willingly lay down his life to die for our sins. And so today's going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to preach to you as much as I want to, I want to bring us back to that day. And I want us to do really three things today. Number one, I want to remember the events of, of Palm Sunday. And then I want to reflect on the prophecy. There was, you know, as you... As we go through this passage, Jake actually read the, the, the scripture in John chapter 12. There, there's a, a prophecy that is referred to that the people of God received hundreds of years earlier. And it was, it was prophesying about this coming king. And that prophecy is found in Zechariah 9 verse 9. We'll look at that. We'll reflect on that. And hopefully all of this will lead us to a place of rejoicing at the coming of our king. And so, uh, so the first thing I want to do is I want to remember the events of, of Palm Sunday. And again, we read John chapter 12, 12 through 19, which, which takes us back to that day, what we call the triumphal entry. But what I want to do is I want to actually read for the next few minutes this, this daily narrative. Okay, I mentioned on our, our website, uh, you may want to pull this up and follow along on your phone. I'll have it on the screens as well. There's also a link to it in our digital bulletin and sermon notes. 
But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna actually read this daily narrative for today, for Palm Sunday. Uh, and again, you can follow along on your phone or on the screens here in a moment. Uh, but again, the intention is let's, let's put ourselves back in that place. Let's remember and, and, and see what Jesus was going through for our sakes. And so I want to pray. If you, if you want to pull that up on your phone or anything like that, you'll have a chance to do that. Let me pray, and then we're going to read through this together. Father, this morning, I just want to say thank you for this day, this opportunity that we have today and every single week to gather together before you and with you to worship you and to get our attention off of ourselves and off of all the things that we face in our daily lives and throughout the week. And God, we can just put our focus and our attention and all of our affection on you. And so, Lord, as we enter into this, this holy week, God, we don't want to just do business as usual in our church or in our lives. God, we want to remember what you have done for us. We want to remember, um, God, your entry into Jerusalem. We want to remember the things that you were facing for our sakes, for our salvation, for our forgiveness, for our freedom, all the things that you must have felt and endured that week because you loved us. God, I pray that this week we would be able to enter into this season of remembrance. God, that we reflect on what you've done and God, ultimately that we would be able to rejoice over all that you have done for us. And so God, would you work in our hearts and in our minds today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine what it might have been like to be in Jerusalem during Jesus's final week. We begin on Palm Sunday. The king has come to town. Passover in Jerusalem was a big deal every year. The city itself is on a hill surrounded by a wall with different gates in it. And there's countryside all around. In the week leading up to the Passover feast, what we'd know as dinner on Thursday night, there weren't dozens of people standing around. No, there were hundreds, thousands of Jews filling the city, walking the streets, buying, trading, sitting and talking, laughing and connecting with friends and family. They'd camp outside the walls, crash on the cushions of a cousin's couch and spend the week getting ready for Passover. It was a hectic, crowded loud week in Jerusalem, and it was the big show at the temple. If you're a religious leader and all your people are in town, it's conference time. You've been tweeting, writing press releases, and practicing your sermons. You're set to be on all week. This is the week of hope. Jews have spent this week remembering and celebrating spilt blood since their last night under Pharaoh. They've heard the promises of God for a final savior, a Messiah, and they believe God will keep his word. They've been looking, waiting, and hoping for centuries. And this week is the time it all comes back up to the surface. There have been 400 years of silence from God to his people. Four centuries of longing, of stories, doubts, hopes, and tales. Tales from your granddaddy told by his granddaddy and his. Every year around the table at Passover dinner. But this year is different. Now there are people in the street whispering rumors and telling stories about a prophet who's from up north. 
and he's making his way south to the city. It's said that he can tell you all that you've ever done, that he's been healing people, curing disease, ending blindness with mud and spit, driving out demon possession. His teaching is strong, persuasive, and rings with truth. He speaks with authority and is loved by the people. He even spends time playing with the children. There is news that recently he even raised a man, his friend from the dead, with just a word after the man had been dead for days. Could it be Messiah at last? Wait, he, he's not just heading south, he's here. Everyone around you on the street is running to the gates, headed out onto the hills to see him. You leave your lunch half eaten and run after the crowd. He's coming and he's riding on a donkey. It's him, righteous, victorious, humble Jesus. You see the crowds, people who'd followed him south, who've followed him for years, along with skeptics, haters, hopefuls, and enemies among the faithful, all there to see this man. And the crowd recognizes his signals. They're not subtle. These Torah literate Jews see him with textual eyes. They cry out that Jesus is the Davidic king. He's here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9 9. The people throw down their coats, the clothes off their backs, down onto the dirt in front of him. They rip branches off trees and cover the ground. The king needs a carpet. This is the royal treatment. And watch this. Jesus receives it. There is singing and celebration, quoting the Psalms and echoing the angels. The people are praising God. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The skeptics, the haters, and the soon-to-be sworn enemies are also in the crowd. And you can hear them too. Yelling at Jesus, trying to be heard above the noise. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. What they're saying is blasphemy. You're not the Messiah. Stop them for their own sake. What does Jesus say in response? See him seated on a donkey, yelling back over the crowd's praise. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You can hear his subtext just as loudly their, their voices could cease and you could find comfort in their quiet, but creation itself would rise up in this moment and praise God at my entry into Jerusalem. I will not rebuke them. I am their king and I'm coming for you. Make no mistake, this is not a quiet, keep it cool, disappear in the crowd, Jesus. By his entrance into town, Jesus is making himself known. He's pinging the radar in heavy waves, rattling the bunkers of the religious leaders. He's going to spend the next few days turning up the heat on them, and it's going to get unbearably hot in the kitchen. So much so that coming into town and declaring his kingship 
is the first in a series of intentional provocations that for any sober-minded Jew of that day meant that Jesus would either overthrow Rome and the religious leaders or he would be killed as the threat that he is. He's the bread of life, born in the house of bread. Jesus is the promised Davidic king, Messiah, entering Jerusalem on a donkey, righteous, victorious, and humble. Look again at the Pharisees in the crowd, standing tall, clumped together, eyeing the scene, jostled and bumped by the mass of humanity, their guts in knots of rage, anxiety, disdain, and fear. They're listening to the people, and then one says to another, you see that you gain nothing by telling him what to do. The whole world has gone after him. Jesus enters town, and he goes right to the temple, to his father's house. When he hits the gates of Jerusalem, the crowds didn't just disperse. They want to see what, where he's going. He enters town amidst praise and shouts and singing and makes a statement by heading right into the temple. But it's late in the day. This is just a scouting trip. His point made, he leaves town with his disciples and he makes the journey east to Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. Can you imagine the buzz in town that night? What a day. Did you see him on a donkey just like it said? Did he, did he really raise the dead? What's going to happen? I mean, I can't believe, I can't believe it. He's here. Did you see him in the temple? 400 years of, of longing, of expectation and deafening silence just erupted in songs and shouts of, of joy. A people who felt forgotten have seen their king. It's no ordinary Passover in Jerusalem. And if the crowds are feeling that, so are the ones in power. There is a subtext, a confrontation playing underneath within and above every second of the week. God and Satan at war for the souls of men. Jesus is carrying out the mission given to him by the Father, but not without opposition, pressure, and attack at every turn. This week cannot be seen outside of that wider lens. Jesus has entered from the cosmic realm into our human reality and is going to push against every reality until we are freed from blindness and death, brought home as the children of God. As we enter this week, try and really see him with your mind's eye. See his entry into Jerusalem and hear the joy of the crowd at his coming. See him praised on Sunday like a king and on Thursday arrested like a common thief. Feel his righteous anger at his father's house being misused by those in power. Feel empathy for the fitful moments in bed those nights before as sleep stole his worries. Recognize his courage and feel his loss as he chooses each word and provokes his own death at the hands of his enemies, all to further God's rescue plan. This week, enter into Christ's suffering by engaging the story in the hours. 
enter into his grief, which might make you reach for Sunday for resurrection, but that's days and a lifetime away. It's Sunday and the king has come to town. This is what Palm Sunday is all about, y'all. The coming of, of the king. And, and so we remember those events and I hope that every day of this week you can take the opportunity to enter into those events and remember and put yourself in his place. But, but I wanna take a few minutes to reflect on the prophecy. You saw it proclaimed in the midst of that, that narrative. Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. I just wanna spend a few minutes here looking at this prophecy. It says this, let me read it again. The prophet said, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the prophet Zechariah has, has, has told God's people, this is what to expect of your coming king. The coming king is, is, is going to look like this. He will be, number one, a righteous king. You see, it said, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, he's a, a righteous king. And I want you to think about, I want you to reflect on who Jesus is and who Jesus was. Jesus was perfectly righteous, perfectly righteous without sin, perfectly obedient to his father. He lived his whole life, every day of his entire life, perfectly righteous before God. Y'all, we can't even live one full day perfectly righteous before God. And yet here is Jesus, who was a righteous king, perfectly obedient to his father in everything that he said and did and thought. He was a righteous king. But it says that he was also a savior king. He was a savior king. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Jesus, during his life, he would say that he came to seek and to save the lost. He, he came to free us from sin, from the penalty of our sin. He came to free us from the, the power of our sin. He came to free us from one day from the, the very presence of sin he came to save us from our sin. He came to save us from, from death. I had to perform a funeral this, this past week. It was the first one, actually, that I've ever, I've ever done. And it was so heavy. Funerals are heavy. Death is, is heavy. And yet Jesus came to save us from death. He, he, he came to take away the sting of death, the victory of death. He came to remove that so that even though we may die physically one day, that we could live forever, eternally with Christ in heaven. He came to save us from death. He came to save us from the grave, from hell, from separation from God. He came to save us. In fact, when he, when he entered into the city, you know what the cry of the people was? It was, Hosanna. Hosanna, which literally means save us, save us now, save us, we pray. It was, a, it was a cry of salvation. 
Jesus was the Savior. He is the Savior, King. In fact, he had already shown his saving power in raising Lazarus from the dead. In, in, in the previous chapter, in the, in the chapter right before Jesus comes into Jerusalem, in these moments, days, right before Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, his, his good friend Lazarus has died. He has been buried for four days, and, and Jesus comes and raises him from the dead. He resurrects him. In fact, what we saw in John chapter 12, it's, it won't be on the screen we saw it earlier, it says that the crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, that they continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. They had heard about the power of this, this, this Messiah who raised the dead. He raised Lazarus. Why? It's because he was a savior, king, and he had shown his saving power. He was a righteous king. He was a savior king. He was a humble king. He was a humble king. It says, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. This is the thing that, that so jumps out to me because you don't often see the word humble describing a king. He was humble. He was mounted on a donkey. He entered in. You know, when a king would enter in, they would enter to all kinds of pomp and circumstance and, and fanfare. They would ride on a war horse or a stallion. And yet here is this, this king that the people have waited for for centuries. And he comes in like no other king has come before. He comes humbly, mounted on a, on a donkey of all things, not a war horse, not a stallion, but a a donkey. And, and you know what is so ironic to me is that, you know, when we refer to this, this, this scene, this story, we, we call it the, the triumphal entry. And, and if you spoke that of any other king, you would have this image of what that would look like. But again, this is no other king. This is like no other king. His triumphal entry was this simple, lowly, humble entry into Jerusalem. He was a humble king. He was a righteous king. He was a savior king. He was a humble king. And he was, lastly, he was your true king. Your true king. That, that prophecy is Zechariah 9, 9. It says, behold, your king is coming to you. Your king this, this, this prophecy, you know, in the time of Zechariah, when he, when, he, when he prophesied here, the people of God, they, they had experienced multiple kings, multiple foreign kings. They didn't even remember what it was like to have a king of, of their own. And yet this prophecy said that, that you're going to have your own king, the king of Israel. And we know the story. This was, this was the king of kings, the Lord of lords that was coming in to bring salvation and freedom and redemption Behold, your king is coming. Don't miss these last two words. To you. Your king is coming to you, for you. And so we reflect on this prophecy. This king who was coming was a righteous king. He was a savior king. He was a humble king. He was your true king.
So we remember the events of that day. We reflect on the prophecy of that coming king. And, and, and I want this, this last part to, to lead into a time of, of, of worship and contemplation for us. I want us to rejoice at the coming of, of the king. This, this prophecy, this prophesied king, man, it, it wasn't just prophecy, it became reality. And we can rejoice at the coming of this king. We can rejoice because he is righteous. He was a righteous king. We can rejoice because he is righteous. If Jesus wasn't perfectly righteous, and we talked about this when we talked about this breastplate of righteousness a few weeks ago. If Jesus wasn't perfectly righteous, we couldn't receive his righteousness. We, we couldn't receive the righteousness of Christ in exchange for our sin. We could never be seen as, as holy and righteous before God. We could never have entrance into the presence of God if he wasn't righteous. And so we can rejoice because he was a righteous king. We can rejoice because he was a savior king. He is a savior king. Without his sacrificial death for us, without the events of this week that started on Palm Sunday, Jesus made his way into the city and he made his way through the events of this week, ultimately with the goal of going to the cross for our sin, to sacrifice his life so that we could be forgiven and freed, so we could know God. Man, if it weren't for the events of this day and every day of this week leading up to Good Friday, if it weren't for the sacrifice of Jesus, we wouldn't have a savior. We couldn't be saved from our sin. We would be stuck in our sin. We would we would die and enter into the grave. We would enter into hell and we would be separated from God for all of eternity were it not for our Savior, King. And so we can rejoice today because he is Savior. We can rejoice because he is humble, because he's humble, because he loves us, he serves us. Philippians 2, verse 8, says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If he was a proud king, if he was all about himself, if he wasn't willing to lay his life down as a humble servant, if he wasn't willing to serve our greatest need by dying on the cross for us, we would never know forgiveness. He's humble. He humbled himself for our sakes. And so we can rejoice today because he was humble and he humbled himself for us. And we can rejoice because he is our true king who has come and who is coming, amen? He has come for us. He, he opened the door to the Father. He opened the door to God's kingdom and praise the Lord. He is coming one day to take us home into his kingdom and into his presence for all of eternity. He has come. He is, he, he, 
for the people of, of God then. He was the coming king for the people of God now. He is the soon coming king who is coming to take us back, to bring us home. He is our true king and they rejoice because he was coming. We can rejoice because he has come and he is coming again, amen. He is the coming king. Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And we could say that as God, God's people today. We could say, Rejoice greatly, O son or daughter of God. O daughter, O church of, of God. O bride of Christ, rejoice greatly because your king is coming for you. And we can rejoice over that today. And that is my desire today, is that we remember what, what, Jesus, what Jesus did, what he initiated, what he went through for us, that we could reflect on the prophecy and the reality of what Jesus has done, but then that we could rejoice, that we could spend some moments this morning just rejoicing over what God has done for us, over what Jesus did for us. And so we're gonna enter into a time of worship. We're gonna enter into a time of, of prayer and response for these, these next few, few minutes.